0: Hey there, this is a quick note from the editor, Brother Trey, the guy that's in charge of the tech and the youth pastor at First Baptist. The sermon that you are about to hear, the audio is not great. We had technical difficulties with the mic that morning, and so it sounds like Brother Tony is preaching it from a tunnel. We apologize, and that has since been corrected, but I felt that the message was too important not to include in our library. So... Prepare for a blessing, and I'm sure God will give you something that you can take and run with. God bless you. So if you have your Bible, we're not going to be in Acts this morning. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now this is a verse that oftentimes gets preached on kind of a national day of prayer or national revival type of thing. thought it would be a good idea probably to hit it. On the birthday of the United States, verse 14, we're going to be picking up. Just let me set the tone here. The folks that are in the days, right here, are under King Solomon. King David is dead. He's gone. The temple has just been built, it's been constructed. David secured the territory, David built the temple. They had
1: huge amounts of sacrifices, thousands of animals have died and they've offered them up.
0: And that night, Solomon has a vision, word from God, I guess you could say. And then, God tells him, there's going to be a time when the people are going to turn away from me. They're going to drift from me. And in that time, I'm going to duck the skies up and the land will be unproductive. It's going to be tough times. And there's going to be pestilence going on. It's going to be hard times. Verse 14. If my people. Who are called by my name. Will humble themselves. And pray. And seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Solomon hears from God that things aren't always going to be gravy. There's going to come a time when the people are going to drift and it's going to get ugly. It's going to get tough. It's going to get filled with pestilence, sickness, drought, famine, and it ain't going to be pretty. But, the good thing that we can take away from this is that the restoration when the times are like that aren't in the hands of the world, but it's in the hands of who? God's people. If you, it's obviously on God, but it's up to us to change that. As the people who are called by his name. Who are people that are called by God's name? In our world today, it's those that identify as Christians. Those that believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived that sinless life, died of death, substitutionary for them on the cross, was dead, was buried, was raised again to life and is coming back one day. Those are people who are called by the name of Christ. So for those who are called by His name, He says, if you will do these four things, it's going to change. How many of y'all would say United States today where our founding fathers would look back and go seriously? Y'all let it get to this point, right? Do you think they have that attitude? Do you think they look from seventeen seventy six to two thousand twenty three and go Y'all haven't figured out pronouns yet? Right. I mean, do you think they would be proud of you over that kind of stuff? Yeah, probably not. Right. That's probably not what they envisioned. We live in a world right now, though, that is filled with violence, hatred, hurt, division. Right. And you can say, "Well, you're selling division up there, aren't you?" Sure. So division it better be rightly coming from the word of God not out of anger and not out of hatred but you can rightly divide the word of God and show people there's a right and a wrong and thus saith the Lord you can do it unapologetically
1: you can do it with a heart of love and a heart that that longs for them
0: To be in the will of God. So when we look here, we see the first thing that these folks have to do, the ones that are called by his name, we gotta humble ourselves. Man, have you ever humbled yourself? What's the first thing you have got to do when you humble yourself? Think about this now. Let your pride go, hit your knees. First of all, you need to identify what is holding you back from being humble, hitting your knees. It's hard to humble yourself because in order to humble yourself, you have to look at yourself and identify that which needs to go. we got to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, that needs to go, that needs to go, that is not of Christ. That is not of Christ. That certainly isn't of Christ. And then we can step aside from that, leaving it behind. Humbling ourselves, in God's eyes, is acknowledging our absolute dependence on Him. It's funny, because Independence Day. Our country was a very prideful nation. Look at the history of our country. <coughs> you cannot tax us without representation. Right, that's my best Yankee stuff. We will not pay the king's taxes. Right, King George the Third taxing the money to teach history. So this is all accurate. So all that takes place, and the people say, "No, we're not going to do that. We are not going to be taxed." without representation. We're not doing that. So what are we going to do? We're going to fight for our rights, just like the Beastie Boys did. And they fight. And they come up with the world's most famous breakup letter on July 4th, 1776. It's ratified. And they say, King George Third, we are breaking up with you as a nation. We're done. And here's why. Just like when you do a to break with a girlfriend or a boyfriend in 8th grade, you're like, right. your breath is bad and you don't try to hold my hand. And you have this list of grievances. And that's what the United States did. So the United States had all these reasons. They wanted to be independent. God says, now,
1: when you humble yourself, you realize how dependent
0: upon me you really are. You're going to find yourself in all the prideful areas of it. You're going to find all the areas of your life that don't look like me. Separate yourself from them. You're going to rely on me wholeheartedly.
1: Absolute dependence. That is humbling ourselves before God.
0: There was an old theologian and I heard this story several years ago. he was in the 1800s he lived. And he gave an example. He said, humbling ourselves in the Christian life, oftentimes we think of it as when we want God's gifts and blessings, imagine all these blessings are on shelves. We think the higher we climb, the greater the blessings. But in the Christian world, it's not climbing the shelf in going up the shelf, going higher and higher. It's becoming lower and lower and lower and stooping down lower because it's through humility that the last will become first is what Jesus teaches. So it's humbling ourselves, separating ourselves from that which is not Christ's like Total reliance on God is what we need to have. And then I'll bring you back to myself, is what he's saying. The second thing he says is the people will pray when they pray. Now, oftentimes prayer is a thing on our to-do list. Every morning I wake up, I say my prayers. I go to bed. I go to bed. Go to bed. I say my prayers. Go to, bread. go to bed. Go to, bread. go to eat. Say my prayers. It's a to-do list. But imagine if we looked at prayer as a I have to do it list. Not in the sense of uh, it's a box to check off. But if I don't do it, my day isn't going to be right. I want to get it done so that things will get done. Imagine if we view prayer that way. Imagine if we view prayer as though everything that we did through prayer was going to have a great impact. Oftentimes, we don't look at it that way. Little prayer, little power. Lots of prayer, lots of power. I want you to remember that. Because so often we'll sprinkle some prayer We'll do like the steak guy. We'll sprinkle some prayer on there at the end. And when we sprinkle prayer on something, we go, well, I prayed. But did you really pray? Did you just talk to God about it? Sometimes we think that prayer is just talking to God. But we know it's as much listening as it is talking. How often when you pray do you speak to God? You come up with this grocery list of stuff that you want done that you want to happen and then you're done. Imagine if you prayed through some of that when you stopped and listened. Is God going to give you that audible voice? Oh, Tell me third request? No. But can you impress upon your soul? Yeah. When you give him the burdens of your heart, then you just sit and listen. Maybe he'll respond, maybe he won't. Maybe that peace will come, maybe it won't. But then you move on to the next time. So often, we do so much talking and not enough listening, he may be trying to answer our prayers, but we're not sensitive to what He's trying to give to us. <laughs> prayer. Think of prayer this way. When we pray, think of a path between you and God. There's this pathway, and there's down trees on that path, and there's tree limbs there, and then there's boulders there, and there's potholes and pits as you're going down that path can you even see him sometimes? No. But what if you stop you pray? It's like taking out the chainsaw clearing that path getting rid of those down limbs and then it's like getting the bulldozer and pushing that boulder out of the way. it's not done with a little sprinkling of prayer. Much prayer, much power. You're clearing the path between you and God so that you can have a direct line of access to Him. Not muddled up by your phone, which is going to be pinging when you're trying to pray. So put it in the other room. Not mothered up is screaming and fighting with one another in the other room. That's not your prayer time. Make a time where you and the Lord can clear that path. Where you can give Him the burdens of your heart. And you have time to listen for His response. If all you're doing is talking, you'll never know what He's trying to tell you. So often, the Lord's talking about the people backsliding. Every time you have ever fallen or stumbled or tripped, what were you doing? Walking. You can't slide around and stumble and trip and fall when you're on your knees. It's a whole lot harder. When you're on your knees your balance is there your center of gravity is lower it's just harder to end up on your face in a mess than it is if you're on your knees. When we pray God is working. I gave you the analogy of working the chainsaw, the bulldozer or making a bridge
1: over a pit And as much as you are working in prayer, God is working on the other side to clear that path.
0: But if you're just giving it a sprinkle, we don't know what he's doing on the other side. The more you spend time with him in prayer, the greater the power you'll see from him in your life, in these requests. It's an important thing. Because most of us have a burden for something within our community within our family. There's somebody that you're longing for, that you're hurting for, that may die today and be separated from Jesus forever. There are folks like that in your life. And we become almost numb to the fact that there are eternal consequences to that. We just go through life. And one day you get a phone call and they oh, Aunt so-and-so died. You'll think, man, I really should have shared the gospel
1: with her. I meant to a few years ago. I meant to last Christmas. With the Thanksgiving before that, I had an opportunity, but I kind
0: of skipped out on it. Pray for those people. Pray for faithful people in their path. pray. The next thing he says is, if my people will pray and seek my face, What's it mean to seek my faith? I remember back in the day, right around 2001, right, and I'm new to Louisiana. When you want to seek someone out, you want to be with them. You want to see them. There is a face-to-face interaction that you are longing to have. Why? Because it's important. How many of y'all, when you have something important to tell someone, say, you know what?
1: I don't want to do it on the phone. I got to see you face to face. You ever
0: did that? You got to see someone face to face. Why? Because it's important. When my people humble themselves, when they pray, and when they seek my face, when they're working, for that level of intimacy with me. That's what I'm going to take note. Seeking someone's face. Intimacy. Now this is going to sound crazy. But let me slow that word down right now. i got this from an old preacher guy from Atlanta. And he said, into the sea. There's an old black preacher. And then he said, say it again. No heard crowd says it and they go into the sea. Now he says, slow it down. He goes intimacy. And they say it just as slow, and I'm like, this is weird. And then he says, Now I'm gonna say it one more time. And he goes into me see. When you have that intimacy with God, it's into me, see. is how we put it. See into me, Lord, and let me see into you. When you look into the heart of God, you are seeking his face, you are seeking his heart. When you are at that point, The change is coming. When it's dry in your life, when your country is going down the wrong path, when all your community is confused and tossed about, and the school system doing this, and something something's doing that, and all this other stuff is going on. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face. And then the next one is what? He says, and turn from your wicked ways. Wow. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So,
1: in order for me to humble myself, i got to stand in front of the mirror and separate all that
0: isn't Christ-like and put it over here. Yeah. But now, i got to turn all the way from. But there's some of that stuff That's just me. There's some of that stuff that just makes up who I am. That's who I've always been. I can't leave that and go over here. God says, if it's wicked, do it. Mm. That means I can't just make excuses for what I've done, who I am, That kind of stuff. I can't just excuse it and say, well, you know, that's how I have always been. I've got to turn from it and move away from it. And when I turn from it, I'm moving towards Him. I'm moving towards Christ. That's what I'm doing. Because when I'm seeking His face, I can't be seeking my wickedness. I can't be seeking my own godliness. I can't be seeking my sin. Because if I am, I'm not seeking His face. Does that make sense? You want to have an effective revival in your life, in your family, in your school, in your town, in your nation. These four things is what He gives as a recipe. And these four things... All kind of move and twist and interrelate with one another. Think about this. If I am humbling myself, I can now pray better because I know what I need to pray about. If I'm turning from my wicked ways, I'm going to be seeking His face. If I'm seeking His face, I am praying better. All of these things, and play with this at home later, all of these things are intertwined and interconnected. He says, if you do your part,
1: I'll do mine.
0: When you drift, when you're fading away, when you backsliding whatever you want to call it, As an individual or as a nation, you do these things. You do your part, and I'll be on the other side doing mine. And then verse 14 says, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. But then 15 says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made. In this place. What's the place that he's talking about to Solomon? The temple. Because the temple is great, huge, giant temple. All the dead animals sacrificed. Ah, ah, ah. Smells like barbecue for weeks. He's talking about that place. Mm-mm-mm. He says in the next verse. I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Where is that temple that Solomon built now? It's trash! Isn't that funny? God said my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. But the thing was trash Smashed it up, shipped it out. Anything that was valuable. That temple isn't there anymore. How awesome is that? Amen? Let me hear an amen. Because that temple got stomped on by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And I'm so thankful. Wonder why? Because then they wonder. We just started on State Night in they built another temple. You know what happened to that temple? It got trashed! And it wasn't even nearly as nice as the first one. They came in, they smashed it, smashed it, and smashed it, beat it up, tore it up, took it out. Yet God promised that his eyes and his heart were there perpetually. Jesus comes, he built a temple in 70 AD. Guess what happens to the temple? It gets trashed a our time. Man. But God isn't talking about a temple that Solomon built. He's not talking about a temple that was built in the book of Haggai. He's not talking Uh, a temple that got trashed after Jesus died in 70 AD. I love it. You know what temple his eyes are on perpetually and he's always with? This temple. Why? Because back in the day when Goats and bulls were sacrificed and birds and all that stuff in Solomon's day. If you wanted to have atonement for sin, you would go to the temple. God
1: would bring his presence there and then you would leave justified.
0: Actually, you would leave atoned. You would leave there with your sin covered. That happened all the way up until when? The resurrection You know what happened at the resurrection? Mm -hmm. After that, the perfect sacrifice was offered up. And no longer was there a need for a sacrificial system. And no longer was there a need for an old temple. Because the temple was made obsolete. Why? Because, obviously, the people couldn't keep a temple giving it up to the enemy because of their other worship so God, we just sang that song and he said you didn't want heaven without us so Jesus you brought heaven down so here's what happens God says I'm going to take my spirit I'm going to take my eyes, I'm going to put my heart within that temple And when he points down
1: at that temple, he's pointing at that that one, and that one, and that one, and that one, and that
0: one, and that one, and that one. And he said, you are my temple. You read it in Corinthians, you see, this is the holy temple. Now, you read in Hebrews, the sacrifice was made, and no longer is another sacrifice needed. Why? Because his spirit dwells within you, and you are the temple. So no longer did people have to go to the temple to receive atonement. He brought heaven to the temple, and he said, not only are you atoned, we cover, we took some white out and put it over your sin, he says there is remission of sin. There is forgiveness of sin. And guess which one is better, forgiveness or atonement? Forgiveness is way better because forgiveness and remission means it's not even there anymore. Not only was there whiteout over it, but he magically took it from underneath the whiteout as though it were never even there. How far are you forgiven? How much are you forgiven of your sins? As far as the east is from the west. That's what he does for us. And you are his holy temple here on this earth. We don't need all these people that are, oh, the end times and, oh, there's going to be another temple in Jerusalem. I don't care. You want to know why? Because you're his temple. You're his temple. When you go to Jerusalem as a believer, the temple is in Jerusalem. The Jews that are believers in Israel, the temple is in Jerusalem. The temple is in Israel. And the temple is in you. And we are called to be a priesthood to the nation, which means you take His Holy Spirit within you and you share it with others. And you share it with those around you. That's what we are called to do. When we start by humbling ourselves, when we start by praying, when we start by seeking his face and turning from our wicked
1: ways and understanding that we are that temple that he is always in, he can never leave us or forsake us, that is the power that we go out with.